have continued on our uh, Roots campaign, prayer campaign. So today, the word T, we reveal it as trust. So last week was obedience, and this week we will be praying on the word trust. Um, so I know last week, I don't really know how your prayer has gone so far, but as we take steps of obedience to the Lord, it requires a lot of trust in the Lord. We don't know when we take the step, right, what will happen on the other end. But that's the part where we can really just, this is a time, I think, of like celebration. Celebrating knowing that God will come through in wherever that we may be at. Uh, we obey because we seek for God's miracles to come out, for his uh, truth to be revealed. I know um, a lot of times we struggle with the word trust, and I know a lot of times we hold on to things in our lives for control. I know that because I have that issue, uh, control, right? Even the song, when we were uh, singing the song, trying to like lose control or give that control to God is really hard. So giving that trust to the Lord, um, I pray that you can look into your heart this week as you wrestle with the word trust. And I encourage you to fast because uh, when we fast, it really puts you in a place of like emptiness, like your stomach is empty. So it's, you feel a lot of emotions rise up. There will be a lot of things you will wrestle through. I know I did personally through the fast and through the prayers. So you will hear unbelief. You will hear your, your, all these things that are rising up. So I encourage you again. It could be a one-day fast. Like Young and I, we did like a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. fast. So I encourage you in any form, go ahead and fast and pray this week. So to be Included in our SMS, text this number. It's 1-855-606-2968. Text THMCEM on it, and you write your name on it, too. So then we know, like, who that number belongs to. And once you're on our list, then uh, Julia will send you guys reminders. Um, and if you can all just stand, uh, remain standing for the scripture reading. John 11, 1 through 6. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as always, it's such a delight to be here. And I know these are challenging seasons as, uh, as we journey in this time of what it feels like a wilderness, perhaps. Um, as Jeanette mentioned, it's not just a hard time for uh, this congregation, but for really the entire church as a whole, especially in America. It is a difficult season. And I thought she was going to break out into revival there when she was praying. I think the spirit was... Yeah, the Spirit was uh, stirring uh, Jeanette to uh, pray, and so I appreciate that. Um, so I want to share a message. It's a little bit of a continuation, a bit, from my previous time here a few weeks ago, and I'm going to reference a couple of stories, just real brief summary. I'm not going to repeat everything, but um, I, I do hope that this message helps you through what may feel like a time in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place that God often leads us to. We find ourselves in wilderness, or what is called a season of wilderness. And you get the metaphor, right? Uh, wilderness is not your lush oasis of green palm trees and coconut drinks and lounging by the ocean breeze. Wilderness is barren, is dry, is desolate. It's a place where no one really wants to stay for long. But we know that we find ourselves in seasons where it feels like we are in the wilderness. And it is biblical truth that it is often God and his spirit that intentionally leads us to the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days. The Israelites wandered the wilderness for 40 years. And the number 40 is important because it's really a number that speaks, it's like a gestational number. It's a number often in preparation to give birth to something, right? Before Jesus begins his ministry, he's in the desert. Before we, the Israelites enter the promised land, they're in the wilderness for 40 years. So it can also often be a season of preparation. It can be a season of pruning. It can be a season of testing. We can often be in the wilderness because of our own disobedience. There are various reasons. But whatever the case may be, when we are in the desert, we want to get out as fast as we can. And we want an exit strategy. In the year 2000, uh, let me just, I'm curious, and this isn't part of my message. I'm just curious. Is anyone here born after 2000? Okay, all right. Uh, most of you in your early days in the year 2000 probably? Okay. In the year 2000, there was a little book released called The Prayer of Jabez. Anyone ever heard of a book called Prayer of Jabez? Okay. It was a little tiny book. You could probably read it in one sitting. It sold over 9 million copies, according to Wikipedia, in about two years. Uh, 
I purchased one of those 9 million copies when they first came out. And the book was written by a person by the name of Bruce Wilkerson, who was really famous for his uh, Walk Through the Bible program. And it, the basis of the book was basically this little prayer that was found in the book of 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. Anyone read 1 Chronicles recently for your devotionals? Probably not. 1 Chronicles, if you read the first 10 chapters, is pretty much genealogies. And there are no, there's nothing like genealogies to kind of make you go, oh, through the Bible reading program, right? Genealogies are tough, but, but uh, nestled in this long list of genealogies is this little nugget, this little prayer, one sentence in four parts that goes like this, 1 Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, quote, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you will bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from the evil one. And God granted his request. In the 2000 version of this book, this book probably had multiple printings. So in the 2000 version of the book that was printed, in the preface, Bruce Wilkerson says this, Dear reader, I want to teach you how to pray a daring prayer that God always answers. It is brief, only one sentence with four parts and tucked away in the Bible, but I believe it contains the key to a life of extraordinary favor with God. This petition has radically changed what I expect from God and what I experience every day by his power. In fact, thousands of believers who are applying his truths are seeing miracles happen on a regular basis. Will you join me for a personal exploration of Jabez? I hope you will. And in earlier versions, he, he encourages readers to faithfully do this program for 30 days and that you will see significant change happen in your life. How many of you want to read this book now? Yeah. I did when I saw this blurb. I'm like, yeah, give me the secret sauce. Right? Give me the recipe. I bought it. I probably did it. Can't remember for sure. I'm sure I probably did it for the full 30 days. Now, to be clear, I don't want to disparage the book in any way. I think it has blessed many people, and it has... Uh, help many people get closer to God. So for all of that, I give thanks, and it's wonderful. But I start with this illustration because I think this book reminds us of a human nature, our desire to want a formula, a guaranteed formula that will get us out of the wilderness. We like formulas. We like programs that work. If you do X, you will get result Y. We like those. And unfortunately, the Christian world has catered to this human tendency and given us every kind of spiritual formulas there is to success, ways to get to God. Things like prayer of Jabez. 
Now, when I was here as, an, as a temporary pastor, we did our own prayer campaign. And you guys are doing one now, I, and it's great. I, I'm still on the SMS chain, so I do get it, and it reminds me, and it reminds me to pray for you. And uh, I did think, I was trying to guess what tea was going to be, and I probably, I didn't get trust. I, I thought it was going to be Thanksgiving, but I'm glad it's trust, because it goes so well with obedience. And, I, and once again, I think this campaign is wonderful. But there is, but in all of the things that we do, there is always a slight tendency, do you see in us, in our desire, to try and do something to cause a result to happen. Do you understand that? You know, we think if we do this, then God will answer our prayers. If we do this, then God will act for us. And that's what I want to kind of address today because in John chapter 11, we see a clear picture of how that dynamic plays and how God responds and what are the eternal truths that we can cling to that I know will endure the test of time. Okay, so um, let's pray. God, as we look at this passage from John 11, help us to see you. And in seeing you, help us to trust you. That's all that we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I don't know if it was three weeks ago or four weeks ago when I was here, I shared briefly about two incidences, two examples of both answered and unanswered prayer. And for the sake of those who may have forgotten, because uh, more likely than not, you have forgotten, as I have forgotten almost every sermon that I hear uh, soon thereafter, uh, I'm sure you don't remember very vividly. And for those who weren't here, I just want to go over those two illustrations really quickly. The first illustration was the story of my father who was going through a hard time in his business. He was a real estate agent, uh, real estate broker, other, otherwise known as forager, hunter-gatherer, where you got to go and grab your food, and, and you, know, you come home empty-handed without a deal in place, and your kids are looking at you like, Dad, where's our food? And there's no, there's no food. You know? So my dad was a real estate broker, went through a dry season that lasted days in the beginning, then weeks, then months. And he became desperate, so desperate that he did what almost all Christians do in desperate times. He cried out to God. And he cried out to God in fasting and prayer like, like you're doing now to God, uh, praying for your church. And he fasted for seven days. And my dad, much like me, was a hearty guy. And so fasting seven days probably for him in his 50s wasn't easy. But he did. He fasted. And I remember... On the drive to church, that last day, uh, he was just, it was an hour drive to church, and he was crying and praying and just in tears, a broken man, asking God to help him, like, meet their needs, provide for us, help me get something going in my work. And God didn't answer, seemingly. He filed for bankruptcy, we lost the house, and so forth. Another story is my mother uh, was driving to work early in the morning, 430 uh, was anxious about the car running out of gas, and so when a yellow light was turning red, she decided to try to gun it. A, another car, trying to time the green, came at full speed, smashed into her driver's side, where her lung collapsed, and she was taken to the intensive care unit. I was told that she was there, went to the hospital, and saw her critical, 
didn't know if she was going to survive or not. And I didn't know anything about fasting and prayer. I was a freshman in college, but I decided to pray. And I fasted. And I prayed and fasted for three days. And God miraculously, seemingly healed her. She recovered without surgery. Her lungs that was collapsed repaired itself. It healed. She was out in less than a week. And back at work probably a few days later. A remarkable answer to prayer. So how do you reconcile those two, right? That was the question. How do you reconcile those two? Is God like a flip of the coin? Heads, he answers our prayers. And tails, he doesn't. It's perplexing and it's challenging. And it's particularly challenging because when we're in the wilderness, we want an answer. We want a way that guarantees we can get out of this place. And this is a situation we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. I want to just kind of go over this text real quick, point out some observations, and anchor you in some truths. There's a group, there's a group of siblings, two sisters and a brother. I have two sisters, so it's like I can relate. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were close to Jesus. They were in Jesus' inner circle. Okay? I mean, you know, you know you're confident in your relationship with Jesus when you get sick, right? They saw Jesus heal many people, many strangers, many people that Jesus didn't know. They saw Jesus heal the blind, heal the lame, heal the lepers, right? And so when Lazarus gets sick, they obviously reach out to Jesus, and they're so confident in their relationship with Jesus, they send messengers to Jesus, not saying, hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick, come. He's, instead they say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Now, this is my interpretation, but I think there's some, we can kind of explore this. The one you love is sick shows the intimate relationship they had. But I think it also goes to show you a little bit of our tendency to want to manipulate God. Jesus, this isn't just anybody. This is Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. If anyone deserved your healing, it's Lazarus. If you were going to heal anyone, it would be Lazarus. If you were going to go out of your way and journey to a city to heal someone, it would be Lazarus. The one you love is sick. It both shows intimacy and perhaps, not definitively, but this is sort of how I sometimes can read this text. Because in my own prayers, I find myself sometimes praying similarly. Lord, it's me. Remember the one that dedicated my life to you. Lord, it's me. I've been faithfully serving you. We've been fasting and praying Regardless of what the motive was or what the relationship was, Mary and Martha reach out to Jesus like all of us do in times of need, right? And the text tells us that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And because he loved them, the Bible tells us almost ironically, almost paradoxically, 
he stays an additional two days longer where he is. And by the time they, by the time Jesus leaves and heads towards Bethany, Lazarus is long dead, four days dead, in the tomb dead, smelly, decaying flesh dead. And Martha hears finally that Jesus is on his way. And Martha of the two and other stories of the Bible, you know that Martha is the, is the action-oriented person. Mary is the quiet one that likes to listen to Jesus at the feet. Martha is the one busybody going around getting everything ready for Jesus. Martha is a go-get-him type. And I can just imagine, this is such a human chapter, humane chapter, just so speaks to our humanity. Martha hears Jesus is coming, and she doesn't wait for him to get there. She goes out and meets him on the road. And her first sort of address to Jesus is, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Jesus? Where were you, Jesus? Why didn't you hear our cry to you to come and heal Lazarus? That's a question many of us ask when we feel like our prayers are not answered. Where is God? At the end of the day, isn't the Ruth campaign our desire to get God to kind of... God, it's us. It's T-H-M-C-E-M. The little ministry that you love the ones that have faithfully endured without a pastor, which you haven't given us in over a year and a half or two. You haven't answered our prayers. And now we're going to be moving. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Have you ever felt asking that question to Jesus? Or have you ever asked God that question, where were you or where are you? And that's what Martha does. I love about this passage. Martha says, if you were there, if you were there, my brother would be okay. So how do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of seemingly sort of this... um, capricious nature of God answering some prayers and not others. Well, I think there are three things in here that helps us navigate this reality. This chapter 11 helps us navigate this. And the first is that throughout the story, one reality is never questioned. And that is that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And is repeated three or four times in this text, in this chapter. Jesus Loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Rather, Martha felt like the answer, her prayers were answered in the way that she wanted to or not. The Bible teaches us Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus loves T-H-M-C-E-M. Jesus loves you. And rather you're stuck in the wilderness trying to get out 
whether you're going through a difficult season and God doesn't seem to answer, and you're wondering, where are you, God? This is one reality and one foundation that you can trust. God loves you. God loves this church. Amen? This is a pillar. This is a foundation. You have to have this reality deeply embedded in you to endure, in, to endure the ups and downs of life. The second reality Jesus paints for us in this chapter is that God responds to us in love, right? Because he loves us, everything he does for us is an expression of his love for us. But it's not just a love for us that he is concerned for. God also always acts for the magnification of his own glory. God's ultimate aim is that we are lifted up when he is glorified. So Jesus, even though it would cause short-term anguish and pain and disappointment, waits because of a greater glory to God that was to be revealed through the resurrection from the raising of Lazarus. I just want you to know this. Rather your prayers are answered in the way that you want them to be answered, or rather they're not, they're, or it seems like the prayer is not being answered at all, behind it is God's love for you and God's passion for his own glory. God will not act that undermines his glory. All that God does is to magnify his glory because he is glorious. So those are the two pillars that we can trust, right? God loves you and he works for his glory. That's what this chapter teaches us. And the third reality that Martha comes to, which I think is the point, is Martha says, if you were there, Jesus, my brother would have been saved. Nevertheless, I know that God hears your prayers and that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. At the end of the day, my prayer last, last four weeks ago, and I kind of was listening to it again, and it, was, it wasn't as clear as when I said, delight yourself in the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart, meaning that at the end of the day, what we desire for is God, and God gives himself to us. And what this passage teaches us is that what helps us carry through, what helps us endure the difficult times, is not rather prayers are answered in the way that we want them to be. It is a reality of who he is. God's desire for you is to have a deeper understanding of who he is. He wants you to grow in deeper knowledge of him. And in knowing him as a trustworthy, faithful, just, merciful, and loving God, you can endure all kinds of things in life, both when your prayers are visibly answered and when God answers in ways that we can't fathom in this lifetime. I was going to give you an illustration about Abraham from Hebrews, but I'm going to end it here. Where were you, Jesus? Martha asked. And Jesus responds, I love you and will always love you. And I will always act for the glory of God. And yes, 
I am trustworthy. I am God. And I am your hope, your treasure, your strength, your fortress, and your delight. May those truths be an anchor as you journey through this season in the wilderness. Amen. Blessings to you.